Matthew 28, please. Um, I want to talk to you about transforming cities. I don't know if we'll actually get there, but <laughs> I thought if I put a good title on it, like we'll just work towards it. Uh, verse 10, Then Jacob departed from Beersheba, and he went towards Haran. And he came down to a certain place and spent the night there, because the sun had set, and he took one of the stones and put it on... Uh, took one of the stones of that place and put it under his head and laid down in that place. He had a dream, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Verse 13. Are you guys there yet? Genesis is the first book of the Bible. It isn't that hard to find. From the... what? what did I say? <laughs> That's the first book of the New Testament. This is Genesis 28. I think you guys heard wrong. Okay, you guys, can we start over? Okay, let's pray. (laughs) I'm telling you, no wonder the Lord misses you guys. Verse 10, chapter 28 of Genesis. All right, is everyone there? Genesis 28.10. It's the first book in the Bible. Just go one, two, three. The little 28 at the top. Is everybody there? Okay. I was wondering why you guys were laughing when I first started. Like, this ain't even funny yet. Did I actually say Matthew? Dude, I've had like one day's sleep in a week. Here we go. Verse 10. Uh, did you notice, like, Matthew 28 didn't have anything to do with Genesis 28? Jeez. Okay, now, you're, it should start with, then Jacob. Are you there? Okay, then Jacob departed from Beersheba and went towards Haran. And he came to a certain place and spent the night there, because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of the place, and he put it under his head, and laid down in that place. He had a dream. Behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reaching to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of your father Isaac, and the land which you lie, I will give it to you and to your descendants. And your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth. And you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and south. And in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you. I will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done all that I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord's in this place, and I didn't know it. And he was afraid, and he said, How awesome is this place. It's none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. So Jacob arose early in the morning, and he took a stone that he had put under his head, and he set it up as a pillar and poured oil on its top. And he called that place Bethel, and formerly, previously, the name of the city was Luz. And Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me on this journey that I will take and give me food to eat and garments to wear, I will return to my father's house in safety, and then the Lord will be my God. This stone which I set up as a pillar will be God's house. And all that that you give me, I will surely give you a tenth of you. Give, give a tenth to you. And I, I just I wanted to just talk about something pretty simple, really. 
you know, Jacob's in this place, and um, he, he goes down, falls asleep, puts his head on a rock, and he has a dream. And, you know, we just read the story. The angels are ascending and descending, and he has this incredible encounter with God. But here's the point that I wanted to make, and it's, it's a simple point, really, but um, I think it's a powerful point, and that is that Jacob had such a power, powerful experience with God it actually changed the very DNA of the land that he was in. It says that when Jacob had this experience with God, first of all, he said, God was here and I didn't know it. And I want to tell you that a lot of us are going through uh, times, I don't know if you've ever been through a season in your life, I've been in a season for about eight or nine months where I haven't felt the presence of God. How many of you have ever gone through a season like that? I, I don't mean I can't minister, I don't mean that like I prophesy, you know, just just as fluently as I do, and I feel God, and and it's you know the gifts and callings of God are, are irrevocable. So I'm not talking about ministry. Sometimes we go through a dry time there too, but I'm talking about feeling the sense of the presence of God. And I I don't know how exactly to put that into words, but I think that every believer probably understands what I mean. Sometimes you feel like God's right there, and then there's other times where you're like, I don't know where God is, but. I just believe, I believe that he said he'd never leave me or forsake me. And I hang on to that scripture because I don't sense God. I don't feel God. I have dreams. I have visions. I, have, I, 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 I pray for people. They, you know, people have encounters. But me personally, I don't feel the presence of God. Anyone ever been there? And Jacob is having one of those times in his life. And he's, he, he, he lays his head on a rock just because he's tired. He's not trying to be spiritual. He's not in any, any special prayer meeting. He's not even think, probably thinking about God. He just gets a rock and lays down in the dirt and, and has this incredible dream. But this dream is like, you know, there are, there are two kinds of dreams. There are virtual reality dreams and there are reality dreams. Virtual reality dreams are the kind of dreams you think of. It's, a, it's kind of like you have this, you have this vision at, while you're sleeping at night. And, and it's, you know, it's like watching a TV program. But a reality dream is this. A reality dream is when, when your soul sleeps and your spirit has a real encounter with the spirit realm because the spirit realm doesn't sleep. And when you wake in the morning, you remember it as as a dream, but it's actually something that you really experienced while your soul slept, your spirit experienced it. And I want to propose to you that this dream that, that Jacob had, even though it's, it's not really clear, I want to propose to you that, that this dream that Jacob had wasn't just a virtual reality dream where he dreamt of angels, but I want to propose to you that it was really that he experienced the reality of the angelic moving to and fro in his life, ascending and descending in a ladder, and that what actually happened to him wasn't a virtual reality, kind of, you know what I mean, like a vision. Lots of times we have a vision, we're like, it's kind of like a prophetic word, but it, it's, not a, it's, not, it's not real. But... but and then there's other times where we actually have a spiritual experience where actually our soul, when our soul slept, our spirit actually had an experience in the spirit world. I want to propose to you that Jacob actually experienced God while his soul slept. There's a couple of things that are powerful about this, and, and one point that I want to uh, come to in just a minute. But the, one, of the, one of the most powerful things is, is that Jacob was unaware that God was with him. I don't know about you, but sometimes... The most powerful times that God is with you, you are unaware of it. 
It's, it's amazing that God kind of like, I don't know if this is the right way to put it, but God kind of hides himself. Like Jesus would do a miracle. And what, what was the most common repeated uh, statement that Jesus would make after he'd do a miracle? Do you know what it is? Don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. Have you ever wondered, like, you know, oftentimes something happens in our life and we hear testimonies and we're like, God did this amazing thing in me. God did this for me. God provided money. He fixed my relationship. He healed my body. Whatever. Some powerful thing. But I have the sense that for every one thing that we're aware of that God did, that there's ten things that we're unaware of that God did because God doesn't brag about what He does. That, that God is so intensely with us but because he's not a bragger, he's kind of like keeping a secret. It's like, it's like, you know, like Proverbs says, it's the glory of God to hide a matter. It's the glory of kings to search it out. And the first thing I want to say is that you may be going through a dry time. You're like, something's wrong with me. It's like, no, no. Sometimes the most powerful things are happening in your life when you're completely unaware of it. Let me just say that one more time. I, I really felt the Holy Spirit on that. Sometimes the most powerful things are happening in your life when you are completely unaware of it. You know, um, there is more happening in your subconscious than in your conscious mind. Do you know that your subconscious mind is keeping your heart beating and all of your organs functioning? Have you ever laid in bed at night have you ever laid in bed or sat in a chair and all of a sudden you start thinking about your heartbeat? <laughs> that is a weird deal. You're like, that's my heart beating right there. Haven't thought about that before. Well, yes, you have thought about it, but it's below the conscious level. How many of you know that when a disease attacks your body, oftentimes you don't even know about it because as long as the white blood cells can fight off the disease and you have no symptoms, you're completely unaware that your body's under an assault, but your unconscious, your subconscious mind is completely aware of it. I'm not trying to be like mystical here. All I'm getting at is that, is that there's a very small percentage of what's really happening in you that you're conscious of, and I'm talking about on a natural level. A very small percentage of what is actually happening in your life are you really aware of. I believe the same thing is true in the spirit. I believe that there's, there's a very small portion of what's happening in the spirit realm in your life for you, to benefit you, your children, your children's children. I believe there's a very small portion that you're actually aware of, that most of what you're aware of is just the tip of the iceberg, and underneath that is a whole world that's working, being worked out for you, through you, and with you. To, I, I believe that when God said, he, he, you know, we say to people all the time, well, bless you in the name of the Lord, or bless you, or shalom, you know, they say in Israel, shalom, bless you. And we don't even realize it, but when we say bless you, something powerful takes place. But I don't know how many of us wa- walk away with a sense that someone said hello to us. But when they said bless you, how many of you know that if you receive that, there are things happening in your very DNA, in the DNA of your children, in the DNA of your legacy, in the DNA of your children's children? Are you, are you with me? That your complete Jacob lays his head on a rock. All he's doing, he's taking a nap. He's not being spiritual. He's not having any experiences with God. He lays his head on a rock, and suddenly he realizes that God is with him. And he says, God is here, and I didn't even know it. 
And he's having these angelic experiences. I don't know where you're at right now in your life, but I want to just say this. Don't be discouraged if you haven't felt God for a while. Because oftentimes, I find that the most powerful times, the most powerful things in my life are happening in the secret places of my life. But here's where I'm going. Jacob has this experience with God. And he says, God was with me, I didn't know it. And he names the place Bethel. And Bethel means the house of God. It was formerly named Penel, which, which means the place of almond trees. What would happen if you had an experience with God that actually changed the very destiny of the geographic place? <laughs> Here we go. What would happen if you had an experience with God that actually, after you had the experience, not only did your name change, which we'll talk about in, a, in just another minute, but not only did your name change, but the experience that you had was so powerful that the name of the place where experience happened had to change because the name no longer identified the ground. That something happened in this place where you go, this, is, this, this, isn't, this isn't the place of agriculture anymore. This is the house of God. And we begin to move into new dimensions. And suddenly that land begins to be, people come into that land. And there begins to be a vortex for God. And not only is Jacob experiencing God. Listen, Jacob realized that this isn't just for me. Like God was here. He's not just talking about like here, like in me. He was talking about in this place. He goes, God is in this place. God is in this location, like there's a vortex in this location, and this location needs to be renamed because the location no longer can be just a place where they go, isn't this a beautiful place of agriculture? No, this is a place when people step into it, they will experience God. This is Bethel, the house of God. Let's turn to the 32nd chapter of Genesis. Jacob is, uh, verse 22, Jacob, I've told this story lots of times, Jacob is, is having a, not a good life. You know, he had this experience in the 27th chapter, and I don't know how many years this represents, if it's a year, if it's 10 or 15 years, I have no idea, but from the, from the 27th chapter to the 32nd chapter of Genesis, or 28th chapter to the 32nd chapter of Genesis, Jacob has having quite... A struggle. Now, do you remember the word that he got? In the 28th chapter, the Lord says to him, Listen, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your descendants. I'm going to bless your land. Your descendants are going to be like the dust of the earth. All the nations of the earth shall be blessed in you. Now, how many of you know that you would expect Jacob to walk out of that sea, out of that vortex with God, and suddenly be blessed? But let me just give you a little insight. It didn't happen like that. He walks out of that vortex with God, and he walks from there into problems. How many of you know that between the promise and the palace is always the process? Joseph Garlington shared when he was here last time, a couple of three years ago, he said, God closes one door and opens another, but it's hell in the hallway. 
How many you know how many how many realize that the more God repeats the same prophetic word over you, the more God knows that you'll need to remember it when you're in the hallway. It scares me when five or six or seven or eight people give me the same prophetic word. People are like, ah, oh, confirmation's awesome. I'm like, no. If God, if you were going to go from, from the promise to the palace in one step, God wouldn't tell you 15 times that you're going there. He tells you 15 times because He knows that you're going to that you're going, you're going to question whether it was God the way that He's taken you. You're going to be king, David. I'm king. Well, you're not quite. You're anointed king, but there's a little problem between you and kingship. First of all, there's another king, and I'm going to make sure he doesn't like you. And secondly, there's a big old giant. He doesn't like you either. And by the way, your brothers, they don't like you either. Somebody once said that when you become successful, you'll, you'll have false friends and true enemies. But be successful anyway. How many of you know that when God gives you a promise, that between the promise and the fulfillment of that pro- promise is a process, and that process actually is what molds you so that you can stay in the palace. Do you know what... Uh, you know what... Do you know what trial does? Trials take what you know here and they create it so that you become what you know. A trial, people are like, like, how do I get transformed? You get information and then you go through a trial and it gets pressed into you. <laughs> but... I love new wine. You know how they make wine? <laughs> anyway, so far we're not doing too good, are we? So anyway, so Jacob leaves. So Jacob leaves that place and he goes back to his father-in-law. And him and his father-in-law, this is years go by. And him and his father-in-law aren't getting along. His wives, he's got two wives. And they don't like each other. His brother doesn't like him. His father doesn't like him. His father-in-law doesn't like him. And, and, and none of his family like each other. And so finally, you know, he, he, he tries to leave his father-in-law's house way earlier. And that doesn't work out. And finally he leaves. He finally leaves his father-in-law's house, uh, Levin's house. And, he's, and he's, he's really discouraged. He's discouraged. And on top of that, his, on, on, you know, he tells his father, I'm leaving, takes his wives, he takes his flocks. He's got tons of money. Have you ever met somebody who has tons of money, but they're miserable? Some of you are like, I'd love to meet someone who has tons of money. <laughs> somebody once said, you know, I've been poor and miserable, and I've been rich and miserable, and I prefer rich. <clears throat> he's, got, he's, got, he's got lots of money, but he's miserable. 
And so he takes his stuff and, and he's on his way. He just doesn't even know where he's going. He's just, he's just, he knows where he can't stay. He knows he can't stay at his father-in-law's anymore. He knows he's got, he's got to find his place. And so he leaves and he tells his wives, you know, why don't you guys go on ahead? And he gives them direction and sends them with the, the flocks and so on and so forth. And then he comes to this place in the 32nd chapter. In verse 22, Now he arose that same night, and he took his wives and his two maids and his eleven children, and he crossed the ford of Jabbok. And he took and he sent them across the stream, and he sent them across, and he, and he sent whatever he had. I'm sorry. And he, and he sent across whatever he had. And then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. And when he saw that he had not prevailed against him, <clears throat> when he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh, so the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. And then he said, Let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I'll not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Your name shall no longer be Jacob, but it shall be Israel. For you have striven with God and with men, and you have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him and said, Please tell me, what's your name? And he said, Why is it that you want to know my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob named the place Penel, for he said, I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been preserved. I, here's another thing. You know, Jacob goes down to Jabbok, and he meets this angel of Jabbok. Now, you know, I've said this many times, but you know you're having a bad day when the angel that's sent to help you, he doesn't like you either. <clears throat> <laughs> and so Jacob wrestles with this angel at Jabbok. But get this, Jabbok means desolate, it means alone, it means discouraged, and it means abandoned. And Jacob meets the angel at desolate, discouraged, abandoned, and depressed. That's the name of the city. And he wrestles with this angel, and the angel dislocates his leg, and, and, the angel, and the angel says to him, finally, when Jacob won't let go, what is your name? And he says, my name is Jacob. My name, my, my name is shyster, deceiver. And the angel, that's what it means in Hebrew. And the, the, how do you, you know your dad doesn't like you when he names you Jacob and you're a Hebrew. Can you imagine your dad comes, I mean, you come out of the womb and your dad goes, his name shall be Liar. Yeah, that was what his dad named him. Listen, if you're American and your name is Jacob, awesome. Great name. Don't worry about it. Don't send me any letters. <laughs> Just telling you what's uh... so he has this so he has this encounter with God and he wrestles with the angel and his, and the angel changes his name from is from Jacob to Israel. Israel means a prince with God or one who shines with God. But the most powerful thing to me, at least this week, I was flying home from someplace this week, and I was thinking about this, that Jacob wrestles with the angel and he gets a name change. But more powerful than that, the, the ground, the land that he's in gets changed from, from Jabbok, which means desolate, empty, alone, depressed. And Jacob says, no, this land is no longer called Jabbok, but this land shall be called Penel. And Penel means I stood face to face with God here. 
What would happen if you had an experience with God where literally the ground itself, the foundation, the very foundation of the ground, the purpose of the land changed so that out of the ground, do you understand, it says that, that Abraham was looking for a city that had foundations and whose builder and maker was God. Whose builder and maker was God. That Abraham was looking for a city that had foundations. What's he talking about? He's talking about a place where somebody had wrestled with God and where the land itself had an apostolic call to it. Where, what's an apostolic call? It's when a city, it's when somebody has an encounter with God and the very roots of that city are changed. The very purpose of that city is transformed into a, a city where God's purposes are to take place. Whether, whether the place that you're standing in is an almond field, nothing evil about it. It's just a place of agriculture. It's just a plain old, nobody's going to remember it. It's just an almond field. And you, and you have an encounter with God and you go, this place isn't a place of agriculture. This is a place where people will have an encounter with, angelic, with the angelic hosts. Or maybe the place that you live is Jabbok. It's like, it's like Hollywood. It's like San Francisco. It's like so many cities throughout the world. They're not just almond fields, but they're places that where there's devastation, where there's destruction, where people are empty and alone. And suddenly you say, God, how could this place possibly be transformed? And you're thinking about all the different strategies you can have. The first strategy we need is that somebody gets a hold of God and, this, and, the, and the encounter they have is so powerful that it actually changes the very land. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will, hear, <laughs> I will forgive their sins. And listen to this. And I will what? Heal their land. I will heal the land. There's something about the land. It, when, when Cain well, killed Abel, God said, the blood of Abel is crying out from the ground. We're talking, you know, I don't know uh, if... Any of you got involved in this movement, but there was a whole movement for many years. Still, some people are, are very involved in it. Where we were researching the sins of the land and making restitution for the sins of the land. And those really powerful things were happening. You know, it's like when, uh, Je- when Joshua comes into the promised land. Are you guys okay? When Joshua comes into the promised land, you know, God says, wipe everybody out. You know the story. And the, uh, who was it? Gibeonites. The Gibeonites deceived Joshua. They're from the next city that Joshua's about to conquer. But they pretend to be from a long ways away. And they say to Joshua, you know, make a covenant with us. We're with you. Joshua makes a covenant with them. And what happens? As soon as he makes a covenant with them, he finds out that they're in in the next city that they're about to conquer. And God says to Joshua, listen, now you can't kill them because you made a covenant. Well, God, wait, they deceived me. No, no, listen, I don't care what they did. Their, their, Their actions don't call for any reaction from you except for you gave your word and your word's your word, don't matter what. You, God says, you could have came and asked me, but you didn't. So therefore, you're going to live with your word. And so he lets them live. And the Gibeonites live in the land. And years and years go by. And then Saul, 
King Saul comes, is born, you know. And it says this, Out of zeal for God, Saul kills the Gibeonites. Out of zeal for God, Saul kills the Gibeonites. Okay, get this. So Saul kills the Gibeonites. And then, now Saul later on dies. Many years later, like 15, 20 years later, Saul dies. And David becomes king. And there's a famine in the land. So God goes, so David goes to God and goes, God, why is there a famine in the land? Like, what's the problem? And God says, because Saul killed the Gibeonites, there's a famine in the land. You've you got to get this. Did David kill the Gibeonites? No. But do you realize that the land, that the climate was affected by a man's actions, even though he did, he killed the Gibeonites out of zeal for God, he broke a covenant that Joshua made hundreds of years before. And out of that, a famine... I don't know if I'm very clear tonight. What I'm getting at is that the little weather system was affected because a man made a covenant hundreds of years before. A man, hundreds of years later, kills the people he makes a covenant with. Nothing happens to that man. Nothing happens under Saul's reign. There's no famine under Saul's reign. He's the one who does, who does the act, who takes the Gibeonites out. David becomes king. David's king for quite a while before there's a famine. Then there's a famine, and, God, and David says, God, why the famine? And God says, listen, Saul killed the Gibeonites that Joshua made a covenant with, and Joshua didn't listen to me way back here, and now the weather system is being affected, and there's a famine because men broke covenant with God, broke covenant with other men, and then killed people out of zeal for God, but they, they didn't realize it, but they broke a covenant that a man made with a man, and God says there's going to be a famine because of it. You know, in America, we have to convince... You know, if you go to Africa and you teach about the supernatural, you can teach brand new... African believers about the supernatural and they'll get it right away. You know why? Because they already know about the dark side and they're just hoping there is a light side. In America, we have educated ourselves out of the spirit realm. I don't know, even know if you know what I'm saying. 1 Corinthians 12 says, Now, uh, brethren, I don't want you to be unaware of, of spiritual gifts. The word gifts there, if you look at it, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, if you look at, at uh, if you read it in the text, you'll notice that the word gifts is in italics because it's not in the original text. Actually, the passage reads like this. Now, concerning the spiritual brethren, I don't want you to be unaware. How many of you know that you were born again into the Spirit? You were born by the Spirit, in the Spirit, baptized in the, baptized in the Spirit, you have spiritual gifts, but how many, do you how many of you understand that when you received Jesus, you came into a spirit realm in which now you are the first cre creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. That word new doesn't mean, there's two words for the new, word new in the Greek. One means new like you got a new car, and the other word means new like never before created. 
Do you understand that when you received Jesus, you became the first creature ever to live in two dimensions at the same time? Listen, when you received Jesus, you became a new creation. In fact, Peter describes you as strangers and aliens. Why? Because when you received Jesus, you, you received the ability to have citizenship in two places simultaneously. You are seated in heavenly places with Christ right now. It's not a philosophy. It's a reality. You are currently seated in heavenly places with Christ, and you are currently here in Redding, California, and you live in two worlds simultaneously. You are the first creature in God's world to ever live simultaneously in two places at the same time. What we need to realize, and a lot of people, well, my citizenship is not of this world. That's not true. Paul in Romans argued that he was a Roman citizen. And how many of you know that he was a citizen of heaven? He was a Roman citizen and he was a citizen of heaven. When Jesus said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and render to God the things that are God's, he wasn't saying, listen, you only live in one dimension and Caesar's world isn't important. He said, be responsible to Caesar because you live in Caesar's world on this side and be responsible to God because you simultaneously live in God's world on this side. We have a responsibility in two dimensions. Are you with me? But what we do in God's dimension actually affects the other dimension. What we do in God's kingdom affects Caesar's kingdom. And we don't even realize it. Weather patterns change. Things happen in the ground. Are you with me? Here we have an example I just told you about. about Because Joshua makes a a covenant with the Gibeonites and, and Saul kills the Gibeonites and David doesn't have anything to do with the... Listen... He didn't create the problem. He didn't make the covenant without asking God. He didn't kill the Gibeonites. He didn't do anything wrong. How many know that when you're in leadership, there's a lot of things that aren't your fault, but they're still your responsibility? Man, I wish I could say that again. Part of being a leader, and how many of you know that we've been called kings and priests? He's king of kings, and you're one of the kings he's king over. I don't know why, but we always want things to not be our fault. You, 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 you say to people like, you know, um, we got this problem. You know what? Just let me tell you something. It's not my fault. Listen, if you realized how much power that you, that you, if you realized how much power God's given you, you would take responsibility for everything. You go, my God's able to do that. I can, you can put that on my shoulders. Because His government rests on my shoulders. Go ahead and put that on my shoulders. I'll take care of that. What I'm getting at is this, is that we're so often distance ourselves from the problem when God says, run into the problem. David sees Goliath and he's like, I believe I can whip that guy. And it says that he ran to the battle line. We run from the battle line and God's like, where are the people who are supposed to be solving the problems? We see dark cities. We see dark places. We see dark, you know, uh, occupations. And we run, well, I don't want to go there. Those put, I, I go to work for this boss and he cusses and tells dirty jokes and I just, I just want a job. I want to, yeah, you want a job in a sterile place where God can't even, doesn't even need you. I talked to someone recently, like, I'm working this job and they, man, I'm the only Christian in this job. And, and you know, they went on to talk about how dark that place is. Like, and I just, I want you to pray that God would find me another job. So I prayed, God, please find them another attitude. How dark is the darkness going to be if you remove the light? 
Listen, do you, do you realize that you could go to work and you could end up in an encounter? Like, your boss is evil. All of his employees are evil. He just happened to make a mistake and get you. And you just, you, you're, you know, you're at lunchtime and at, at lunchtime you're over there just not even, you're just minding your own business and suddenly you have this God encounter. <laughs> and this place, you know, it does, it sells pornography and does evil stuff and all of a sudden you have this God encounter. You know, it's Jabbok, it's devastation, it's empty, it's alone, it's, it's, it's evil, it's everything that you don't want. And you have this God encounter that it changes your name but more importantly, it changes the ground. And suddenly, what used to draw evil and demonic spirits to it, suddenly, because of the encounter with you, it suddenly becomes a vortex, a magnet, a vortex for angels to ascend and descend. And suddenly your boss is like, something's different in here. And he cusses and he goes home and feels bad about it. It's happening to me. Something's happening to me. You know what I'm getting at? It's like, what happens when you have an encounter? Like, oh, my name got changed. More importantly, the ground in which you had the encounter got changed. <laughs> no simple word tonight. Joshua chapter 5, verse 8. It's just the same thing. Joshua goes to a place. I can't even pronounce this place. It's like 15 letters long. Gibbeth Harlesheth. Man, whoever named that city just rolled over in their grave. It's G-I-B-E-A-T-H-H-A-A-R-A-L-O-T-H. I realize I can't read, but I bet you can't either. And the place means, it, the name means the place of the hills. And Joshua goes there and he's going to go attack Jericho. And God goes, no, no, listen, listen. I got this great battle plan. Now, before you attack Jericho, I want you to get all the men together so we can talk to them. Have a men's meeting. So Joshua's like, okay, cool. So he gets all the men together for this men's meeting. This is the night they're going to have this big, you know, Joshua's probably thinking, we're going to have this big meeting and we're going to get the men all you know he probably watched the Braveheart movie over and over <laughs> you know he's going he's gonna to stir the hearts of the men talk to them about fighting for the living God so he gets them together and he's like ready for the message and God goes okay have them pull their pants down he's got what? yeah well uh, Joshua have all the men pull their pants down and um, we're going to circumcise them we're going to what? God, aren't we fighting? Yeah, yeah, we're going to fight this battle, but none of them were circumcised. Remember I told Moses to circumcise everyone in the wilderness, but he didn't do it because his wife didn't like the idea? Yeah, okay, well, we're going to take care of that right now. So just have everybody come, get flint knives, and let's go have a big circumcision. That's going to be, let's, they'll get the point by the end of the meeting. And that's exactly what happened. It's a little cleaner when you read your Bible, but that's exactly what happened. They circumcised all the men that were going to be in battle. And you can imagine, you know, you come home, you're like, I just, that's too much to probably demonstrate, but. You know, the Bible is not nearly as sterile as you'd like it to be. 
you can imagine, you know, old Joel gets home and Mary says, you know, what'd you guys talk about? And he's like, come in the bedroom, I'll show you. <laughs> it's actually there in the Bible. You have to just use your imagination a little bit. You can be offended, but it'd have to be at God, because all I'm doing is repeating what he wrote in the Bible. And listen, this place goes from, it's, goes from being named the place of the hills. They changed the name after that encounter with God to Gilgal, which means God wheels away the reproach on man. The place where God says, you know that reproach has been against you. You know how you do the right thing, but it never works out right for you. Yeah, well, come over here. We're going to fix that. And God takes them to this place. He takes all of them to this place. It's a terrible battle plan, but God has this battle plan. God says, we're going to win this battle in this spirit right here. And not, it's going to be, you're going to have such a powerful encounter with me that you're going to have to rename the place from the place of the hills to the place where God wheeled away the reproach from Israel. It's just a simple message tonight. But what would happen if your home, in your home, your kids, maybe, you know, your home, none of our homes are perfect. There isn't a perfect person in here. Bill's gone. But we all have struggles. Come on, let's be real. I hate phony religious crap. It just kills me. Everybody has struggles, but... But you know what I'm talking about. There's a difference between having a struggle and having a life where nothing seems to go right. Your kids aren't doing good. Things aren't right. And what would happen if you had an encounter with God that actually changed your house? It changed your street name. You say, they need to rename our street. Something happens where you, people come in. It's like your kids who are wayward and they, they don't listen. They have no hunger for God. Suddenly they come into the house and there's just there's something in them that I've watched it happen in people's hearts and houses where you have this encounter that changes. I don't even know what the heck I'm talking about, but it changes the ground. I'm on the plane just flying home and the Lord gives me this message in just a few minutes. He said, I'm going to start to have encounters with people that it's not just going to change their name, but it's going to change the place where they had the encounter. I'm going to create apostolic cities in which have foundations. When be- God wants... To- By faith... Hebrews 11, by faith he lived, Abraham, as an alien in the land of promises, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for a city which had foundations and whose architect and builder was God. The word foundation means a place that's laid down with a purpose. The word architect means someone who crafts, a craftsman, a crafter. And the word builder means two things. It comes from a word that means people who come from a distant city to be built by God. Abraham doesn't... Listen, Abraham, he's in a place... He, God promised him a land. You've got to get this part. God promised him a land. He's in the land that God promised. But he doesn't know it. Have you ever been lost 
in your backyard. I wish I could say I haven't. And four times I was lost in my backyard in Weaverville. We lived in the woods. And I have no directional consciousness whatsoever. I've walked out in my backyard and I've been four blocks from my house and I don't know which way's back. I've walked for hours through the woods trying to remember which direction my backyard is. Well, it was kind of like that. Abraham is a sojourner in the land of promises. Why? Because he's looking for a city whose builder... He's no... Start over. He's looking for a city that had foundations. The word foundations that have purpose. In the very city itself, the purposes of God are in the DNA of the city. What is that? That's an apostolic city. Somebody has an encounter with God, and this city is a place of, of agriculture, or it's a place of industry, or it's, a, it's, the, it's the Silicon Valley. It's a place for, of technology. And somebody has an encounter with God, and they go, this is no longer the Silicon Valley. This is, this is Bethel. This is a place, and suddenly it goes from an agricultural city, and within 10, 15 years, it's suddenly a place that God blesses. A place that, that, that has its destiny, not just, you know, an apostolic, the word apostle means sent one. How, how many of you know that an apostolic city is a city that has its destiny, not just in its own selfish wants and desires, but it's a catalyst to world transformation. It's a city where people come from all over and they get culturized into the kingdom culture. I believe that we're moving there. I want to say this. I believe that we're moving, that Reading is moving to becoming an apostolic city. I don't think we're there yet, but I think that God is changing the ground. I think that people are going to come to this city. Listen, I think that I think if we were fully an apostolic city, that that we would not experience the same climate as the rest of the world in the economy, in in the, in our agriculture, in our weather patterns, in our divorce rate, our suicide rate, our murder rate, our crime rates. I believe that a city, I don't mean that there wouldn't be problems because there's. There's no such thing ever. An apostolic state is still going to have problems. But there's going to be a great distinction between a city that's ground is blessed and a city whose only purpose is almond trees. There's going to be a marked difference where people go, look at this, the, the housing market is bad all around here, but look at this right here. Come over here. Look at this. Isn't this odd? This circle right here? These houses are selling fine. These people all are working. The unemployment rate's only 2% there. This is really odd. Look at people here. They don't get sick. The crime rate. Why is it that, that when you, that you cross this line, like it's kind of like you know, North and South Korea, you know, I've never been to, uh, to Korea, North or South Korea, but I've done a little study. You know, when you cross over into North Korea, you cross the line into North Korea, into communism, they say it's like dark and light. 
They say the distinction is so profound that it would transform anybody who believes in communism. Now, take that as an example and create an apostolic city. Does it mean there's no problems? No. But it means that when you cross over into the vortex of this apostolic city, suddenly it's like going from South Korea into North Korea. There is such a marked distinction. They go, how come the crime rates drop so low there? Why is... Why? Because someone has an encounter with God that actually changes the spiritual DNA of the ground. And it's so powerful. It's such... It's not... See, we... we uh, we often go to conferences so we can have this encounter with God. That's good. I, I'm, I'm needing that myself, really, to be totally honest. But it, it's, not the, it's not the pinnacle of the New Jerusalem. Longing for God is not normal. It's dysfunctional. And if we're going to move from healing to divine health, we don't need a visitation. We need a habitation. I'm not putting down visitations. But going from conf- living from conference to conference, or from Sunday to Sunday, is a sad way to live. That's a whole lot better than no life at all. But when, if you make it normal, that's not normal. And I just really feel like God wants to move us from a visitation, a place where we have visitations. Like, oh, this is amazing. God was here and I didn't know it. To I become aware you know, um, Elijah, um, he sends his servant out uh, the tent for whatever reason, and his servant looks around, and, and the Syrian army surrounded them, and he's just petrified. He comes running in. Is it Elijah or Elisha? Elisha. He comes running in, and he says, Elisha, you know, we're, we're going to die. And Elisha said, no, there's more force than those who are against us. And he blesses him, and he says, go out and look again. And he goes out and looks again, and, you, you know, there's horses and chariots. God's... But here's what I'm getting at. There's a man, there's an example of a man who lived in two dimensions. He didn't go back out and look himself. He was aware that they were not in a visitation, but that God continually surrounded him and protected him. I know it. I think God is looking for places that He can inhabit. You know, when Jesus 
uh, in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus goes up, and all the disciples are they're looking up into heaven, and the angel says, why are you looking up? You know, most of the church is looking up. They're waiting for Scotty to beam them up. And I just have a feeling that the word of the Lord is, why are you looking up? I left you here for a purpose. And then he, the angel says, he, the way he went up, he'll come down. I'm like, yeah, that's the rapture. Maybe it's the rapture, or maybe it's the answer to the prayer he told him to pray. Pray that it be on earth as it is in heaven. And the 22nd chapter of Revelation says, I looked and I saw that the, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven as a bride adorned for her husband. Did you notice that the emphasis in the 22nd chapter of Revelation was God coming down, not you going up? And do you know when it says, He'll wipe every tear from your eye? I've heard people say this over and over. When we get to heaven, God will wipe every tear from our eyes. There will no, be no more weeping, no more crying. It's a great verse. The only problem is, is that you've mislocated where it's happening. If you read the 22nd chapter, it says that it happened when God came down, not when you went up. I should just read this to you because you're... You're, you're, this is the last book of the Bible. And it's actually the 21st chapter. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God's among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no longer any death, no longer any mourning, any crying or pain, for the first things have passed away. And he said, He who sits on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, Write these things, for these words are faithful and they are true. Where did it happen that he wiped away every tear? There's no longer any pain, no longer any death, no longer any mourning or crying. Where did that happen? It didn't happen in heaven. It happened on earth. You're like, you mean we're going to cry in heaven? No, that ain't the point. <laughs> no, the point is, is that God, I believe that God wants to create vortexes where God can come down. The prayer that he gave us is that God would come down. Jacob lays his head on a rock. The Bible says, Hebrew says, that a rock followed them through the wilderness and that rock was Christ. I think it's the reason why when Moses struck the rock, he couldn't come into the promised land because he hit Jesus. <laughs> it's just a thought. It does. It says a rock followed them through the wilderness and the rock was Christ. That's what it says. Jacob, this is, this is how weird it is. Jacob sets up a rock. He sets a big old rock up. And he goes, God's house. <laughs> I mean, little new agey. <laughs> God's in the rock. Jacob, come on, buddy. No, really. 
I made a house for God. Where is it? Right there. He's living in the rock. <laughs> How do you know that? I laid my head on the rock and God came out of it. Jacob, come on now. That's a little tree hugger. Kind of. No, the rock talked to me. You know, then you get Moses, you know, and a bush talked to him. <laughs> I, just, I know we're getting a little over the edge here. Moses, Moses. Take off your shoes. It's holy ground. Is that bush talking to me? I mean, I'm not saying plants should talk to you or you should talk to rocks. I'm just saying if they talk to you, I would talk back. How do you know that God doesn't live in a rock? Sorry, I offended all the New Agers who were attracting by the quad millions. How many know God doesn't live in a rock? Okay, how many of you think God lives in a rock? Maybe you should raise your hand. We can stone you or love you to death. God doesn't, but Jacob sets up a rock and he says, this is God's house. How many of you know that he's talking about another dimension? He's seen in another dimension. There's something about when he names this place, sets up a rock, and said, God lives here. From now on, God lives here. Why? I built him a house. I set up this rock. Hey, God, I built you a house. It's a rock. You like it? <laughs> you can lay your head on it. Crazy stuff happens when you do. Well, that's a really powerful message. Very deep. Why don't you stand up and we'll just see if we can do something here. <laughs> Johnny, what did you learn tonight? I, lived, I learned that God lived in a rock. I just want to pray for you right now. I want to pray for us. I want to pray that we'd have an encounter with God. Well, maybe your house would be the first place, the first vortex. You know, I just had this thought. When um, when David was trying to get the Ark of the Covenant into the city of Zion, do you remember this? They, They had it on a cart. And they, the cart hits a bump and the ark falls off. Yuza reaches out to try to sta- stabilize it and, and he dies. And they took the cart. And so David, David doesn't know what to do because God just killed the guy who was trying to get him to the tabernacle of David. So David takes the cart and David goes, well, just take it over to Abinadab's house. So they take the cart over to Abinadab's house. I mean the ark. The ark's on a cart, but they take it to Abinadab's house. And this crazy thing happens. It says this, that everything that Abinadab did turned to gold. <laughs> it's there for like 42 days at Abinadab's house. And David goes, 
<laughs> we got to get the we got to get the ark. We we got to take another chance. We got to get the ark to Zion. Look at what's happening to Abinadab. We got to get the ark to Jerusalem, to Zion. Why? Because Abinadab's house was so blessed. And David was willing to take a risk. He's willing to risk more lives because of what happened at Abinadab's house. What would happen if the ark was at your house? Dude, would that be amazing? Think about, like, what would happen if you know, David wheels the ark into your house. And get this, you know, people have died. Like, they're like, hey, you can have the ark for a few days so we figure out what to do with it. Like, okay, put it in the garage. Kids, nobody touched the thing. And then, every, like, you know, you get your first PG&E bill and it goes to nothing, like they owe you money. Do <laughs> you know what I mean? Like your boss, you know, triples your pay the next morning. You know, your great-grandmother who died, you know, 400 years ago, left you an inheritance and you found out, you know, that you're a quad millionaire or whatever. I'm just like, everything you touch just turns to gold. And all your neighbors are like, hey, can you bring the cart over to our house for a few days? I mean, that's what it would be like for you to have an encounter that transformed the ground that you live on. And I just let's just pray right now. Is this too crazy?